Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. How you doing today? What's going on? What's happening? Uh, today's a good day. I had lunch with this uh, super smart guy named Andy from uh, J.P. Morgan. So I'm making mm-hmm. friends. I'm trying to get good. out and have play dates. Um, you need to have play dates. Yeah, I do. It's really I need critical to get out of the house. for you. You need little friends to hang around with. Hundred percent. I was thinking about you. I was watching The Crown. I was I'm catching up on The Crown, the new season. Yeah, it's, it's quite good. I remind you of Camilla. That's who I remind you of. No, she has more hair than you do. I so like no. Camilla. No, Camilla's no. underrated. Anyway, I love the crown. It makes me think of Britain. I really like it. It's really good. The queen is pretty pissed at Prince Charles. But anyway, today we'll talk about Twitter's rapidly shrinking workforce and also the mystery of FTX's disappearing funds. And we'll speak with New York Times' Joe Coscarelli about how Atlanta has become the center of hip hop. He's one of my favorite writers about us, and he does an amazing online interview show with a lot of musicians. I think he's, he could give us some insight into where the music business is going, too. Mm-hmm. But first, the New York Times is reporting that Amazon will lay off nearly 10,000 employees. The cuts will come from its retail and HR divisions, probably as expected, as well from its devices team, which works on things like Alexa. This is not as many. They hired so many people over the pandemic, 500,000, something like that. Also at Disney is planning to freeze hiring and cut jobs. According to a memo from Bob Chapek, the company will look for every avenue of operations and labor to find savings. The company's streaming service lost almost $1.5 billion last quarter, mm-hmm. and Chapek has promised streaming will become profitable by 2024. Uh, the new Star Wars show is getting great reviews called Andor, which uh, many people love. Yeah, and more layoffs, right? That's really what's happening. It's a there's a time to plant and a, a time to reap. Or a time to kill. Um, there's, yeah, yeah. look, who, who would have thunk it? We, we've been talking about this for a while. And if you just look yeah. at the math, if you look at the expense, the exponentially increasing expenses around growth companies that are usually people, mm-hmm. um, you have, and you have revenues that are coming out of the pandemic as sort of pre-pandemic and that is they're mm-hmm. declining, they all lead yeah. to the same place. And same place. The only thing, the only suggestion I would give to these companies, I'm having a lot of these calls right now with CEOs and the, and the CEOs of the boards I'm on, go deeper than you want because mm-hmm. uh, Americans and CEOs are just naturally very optimistic. And right. they like to think that any correction is just a V and it'll snap back very quickly. They do. 
And you've talked about this a lot. What's but there? But there's a proclivity to want to not cut more. Correct. I mean, that's really. Yeah, but your ability, uh, the way I see it is one, when you go deeper than you want, it's like laying off people, and I realize these are real people, but uh, first off, these folks are the most rehirable people in the economy. Yes. Um, these are overeducated people who are who are very talented and work for the ones we're talking about, who work yeah. for places like Amazon and Disney. Their problem won't be uh, getting another job. Their problem will be that they're under the delusion that they're more important than they are. And that is they will go to an organization where the, and they'll expect to get four days of pet bereavement yeah. leave. And that is they have they have had a marketplace that has told them over and over and over Whatever yeah, you want, whenever you special. want, you're special. And yeah. when someone tells you you're special, it's easy to believe them. Sure. So, and they were special. Let's just say they, they did get things for a lot. This has been, what, 15 years of this, 13 years of yeah, this. Yeah, it's been. So it's really interesting of work in, in human nature. When the markets are good, you don't go, oh, things are crazy and irrational. What you say is, oh, this is normal. Mm-hmm. And then when they collapse, you go, okay, this is an exogenous event. Now maybe mm-hmm. this is the return to normal. But you're going to see, I, I, uh, my prediction simple. You, yeah. uh, you mentioned Amazon and mm-hmm. Disney's layoffs. Times that by three to five, that's the number of people who will be laid off in the next 24 months. We have an yeah. increasing interest rate environment. It's going to do its job. People are going to stop, are going to start spending less money. Disney actually had really robust park attendance. It's got an amazing business, mm-hmm. but it's in an arms race and it's spending too much money. Amazon way overhired. Way mm-hmm. overhired, right? But every great company—I don't any company you look at that we talk about—has mm-hmm. gone through periods where they realized they got out over their skis, they grew too and fast in areas that didn't pay off, and they got to come in rashless. And the wonderful thing about America, mm-hmm. and what I tell my CEOs is, the faster you move to fire, the more generous you can be with people. Right. I mean, it just makes sense. If if we might have fired you in three months. Fire them now and give them six months, not three months severance. And also, the wonderful thing about America is that the faster you let a company fire people without the government getting in the way mm-hmm. or regulation, the faster you can rehire them. It yeah. is not easy to get hired in France because guess what? Every company goes, Jesus, let's think twice because it is impossible to fire this person once yeah. they are on the payroll. So I'm, it's easy to, to heckle know. from the I cheap know. seats, but I know it's still there's still pain. I think it's I think it's this is a generation of people used to up and to the right, and it's not up and to the right. And you know, I know a few people have been laid off, and I saw one of them last weekend in New York. Who I'm not going to say the company they work for, but they were asking me, "When do you think the IPO is going to be?" And I said, mm, "Maybe you should think about when the layoff is going to be." And that company laid off right away and they got laid off, and it was interesting because they were waiting for this IPO to happen. And there are no IPOs. I mean, literally, there are no IPOs. Well, exactly. But it still was this idea. They were in this head like, oh, it's just the, a delay of the IPO. I'm like, no, they're going to, they have to lay off. They have, if they're going to get to an IPO. And that's exactly what happened at Airbnb that's before right. he went, did the IPO. Anyway, interesting, interesting times and more to come, we suspect. Would this be a bad time to ask Bankoff to pay for my vasectomy? Yes, it would yeah, be. Yeah, that would be bad. Okay. Yeah, I, I, look, Fox is not going to escape this either. Never mind. I'll do it myself. No company is going to escape this. None. Very few companies. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, Apple and Epic are back in court. Epic will once again argue against Apple's restrictions on third-party payment processes. This is the the thing they sort of lost this time before the Ninth Circuit. The appeals court ruling may take up to six months. If the cases go to the Supreme Court, it likely won't be resolved until 2025. If Apple is successful, could companies leave iOS entirely for payments? 
OpenSea, one of the most popular NFT marketplaces, already does this. You can't buy NFTs in its iOS app, pushes you to the desktop browsers. Apple is getting more aggressive with its 30% cut. Last month, it announced that it will take a cut of boosted posts on social media networks like Facebook and Twitter. That's advertising, essentially. So this will be an interesting case. This is just going to wind on forever. They, they Apple kind of won the last round. Eventually, there'll be a resolution, but it's not going to be for a long time. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, this is this is actually, so there's news and there's noise. This mm-hmm. is news. And it really is monopoly behavior. And what's so extraordinary about this, it's one thing, I mean, I, 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 I'm a shareholder in both Epic and Apple, and I am absolutely 100% on Epic's side here. And to me, this feels like you buy a jacket and the retailer gets a gross margin on it, and essentially Apple is a retailer here. But then every time you use that jacket, you're supposed mm-hmm. to pay, uh, you know, super dry or Canada Goose again. I find mm-hmm. it very strange that just because you have the app, um, any purchase within the app, you then have to spiff back okay. to the mob. I mean, it feels yeah. vig. It's called a vig. A vig, yeah. And yeah. and and if there were more, if there were more than two app stores, and really, there's really only one app store for anyone who is a storyteller, is wealthy, or has any opportunity for a random sexual encounter. That's called an mm. iOS user. Yeah, but there's there, Android's big. But go ahead. All right, go ahead. Yeah, you know what, Kara, let's for be honest. People. When you have Android, it kind of is like saying to the world, you know, life didn't pan out the way I'd hoped. <laughs> it's that's my brother just shifted from Android to Apple. He had to well, come over. Yeah. And I mean it's sort of like when you roll up in a Mazda or you carry a Discover card. Nothing wrong. <laughs> nothing wrong with it. But it's kind of saying, you <laughs> know, things you. haven't really panned out. No, with that's not true. That's hundred percent. All right. In any case, it's a big vig. So they have a monopoly on the fourteen percent of the wealthiest people globally. And the, the it's one thing if you have a monopoly and you charge 30%, which on its own feels like predatory pricing to me, but then anything you do in-app from that point mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. So I think the argument they may make is it's not a commission for the app store. It's the price of using iOS if you yep. want to do any transaction on iOS. But it, they get – 80% margin, it's like a $20 billion, I'm not even talking about the app economy or the initial VIG on the initial purchase, but the in-app purchases post-download of the app, they get something like $20 billion at 80 points of margin. We've just- It's a good business. Yeah, it's a good business. business. I think this will be an interesting case. And and they did they did lose on the first round, uh, Epic, Epic did. But I that they're going back and forth. You know, they were very confident they were going to win in the in the courtroom here in D.C. But it'll be interesting to see what the appeals court does and then what the Supreme Court does. There's been very little tech regulation or tech uh, legal stuff that they've lost. This would be a big one for sure. And maybe we'll have some people on for both sides of the argument, which would be interesting because I agree with you. It's a big deal. But OK, let's get to our first big story. Twitter is shrinking. Over the weekend, the company laid off over 4,000 contractors without warning. That's nearly four-fifths the entire contract workforce. Although many people thought, how did they hire that many people, many people who used to work there? The contractors worked across the company, including in content moderation. One person who's not showing a lot of moderation, the chief twit, he tweeted insults at Senator Edward Markey over the weekend after the senator tweeted about the risks of impersonators, although Markey was a little heavy-handed as far as I I, I think he was. He also amplified, this is Elon, also amplified conspiracy theories about FTX, money laundering, and the Democratic Party. That was interesting. And he complained about the cost of feeding employees and got in his Twitter spat with one of the program's administrators, which is exhausting because it's such nonsense because these companies paid for the food and used to argue with me of how much it was worth it. 
they want to cut the cost, just cut the cost and stop making a thing of it. Anyway, I had a whole show on Elon today. I mean, his and my long time relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And it was called Now He's Just Somebody That I Used to Know, which was a That's song, cute. of course. That's really Thank cute. you. It was almost, uh, we have to talk about Elon, but then I thought a little too serial killer. Anyway, and then he appeared at, uh, at an event in Bali, I mean, oh, virtually, where he said he was super tired and nobody should be him. Tiniest, world's tiniest violin on that one. What's the goal here? I wish he would like, fix the company. I don't know what to say. He wants to build great features, but he's spending a lot of time tweeting stupid things and make, and alienating people. What do you think? What do you think here? Let's talk about positive did, things. Did you see the image uh, when yeah, he was piped it was in? Creepy. He looked yeah. like he was on trial in the future. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't need me to feel sorry for him. And I, no. people don't want you to feel sorry for them. I always say when, uh, sympathy mm-hmm. is not something that, that men yeah, accept well. You don't ask well. for it. Yeah. But it just felt, you, it, I continue to believe, and this is armchair psychology, this guy is unfolding before our eyes. And unfolding, you mean? Unbundling, unwinding, un, un, you know, yeah. coming undone, whatever coming the term undone is. Coming undone is the right, yeah. He does the most insanely uh uh, non-graceful, stupid, um, mean things. And you can find hundreds, if not thousands, of really smart people who see the genius in it and yeah. assume it's all part of some master plan. Yeah. Maybe they can't chess. explain what it is, but yeah. you're playing checkers, he's playing chess. That's exactly the right analogy. Yeah, you got a lot of that. I saw you got a lot of that. As much as you would like to think this is all part of some master plan, and yeah. that Twitter's going to emerge from the ashes and be amazing, yeah. and yeah. that he's going to put us on Mars, and he gets it, and we don't. No, yeah. he's a brilliant man who's going to move the world forward, and he should get all that credibility. But be clear, he's incredibly fallible. And when you fall into this dangerous notion that we have Jesus Christ, whether it's a guy who says, make America great again, you know, we we got to stop this cult. Jesus yeah. Christ, they're I mean, not there. Let sorry, me just interject. Uh, I think the nation is healing in that regard. I think, you 100%. know, the repudiation of Trump, I think a lot of people are like, a lot of people, I'm getting more of like, oh, wait a second, after all this, maybe he's not so smart. I think a lot of people are wising up and not immediately buying the cod swallop that tech pushes at you about yep. these brilliant people. Um, that to say, like you said, let's be let's be kind. These are really special people in many ways and smart, and they were there at the right time, whether it's luck or, you know, it's there's an expression, is it smarter to be lucky or lucky to be smart? And so I think it's a combination of those things. I would give, I always give credit. Like when I have people who are like, see, he was an idiot the whole time. I'm like, oh no, his car and rocket stuff is really quite, impressive like and they're Mm -hmm. like it's not and i'm like you know what you don't have to like him but for goodness sake acknowledge what's special here this is not special and i'm not sure what's going on i mean do you think he says he wants to build things he's cutting costs that makes sense i don't i don't think that doesn't make sense the way he's doing it is casually cruel and i do think when i saw that number of contractors and several people wrote to me they're like that was a lot of contractors and i agree that was too many and that's how you cut and raise contractors to save costs and because it's easier because mm-hmm. they work for third parties, by the way, for the most part. And so it's, it's you don't save costs on health benefits, but you that's how you Well, they're easier it. to fire. That's why That's correct. Yeah, exactly. So I, I see that happening. I was surprised by how many there were and I could see that's a very easy thing. The food thing is just nonsense, whatever, just cut the cost, you, you know, whatever. So is Google. Google's doing the same thing. Last year they were cutting food costs. But I, I don't know what the goal here is. Is he trying to buy up Twitter's debt? Is he want to kill it and write it off as a loss? Does he want to go bankrupt? Is he just mad that he has to own it? And so he's doing a giant 
billionaire tantrum? I don't know. I, I'm not I, sure I called a bunch say. of people this weekend, and everyone has no. a theory, but everyone's sort of unifying around Which nobody one? knows. Because this, the latest theory that he's intentionally trying to bankrupt it mm-hmm. doesn't really make a lot doesn't of sense, sense. Because he'd wipe out the equity, and then they'd have to put the company up for bid, and a higher bidder could come in. A judge would not yeah. look favorably on him in bankruptcy court. Yeah. But if you look at, I got, someone sent me a list of the debt. If you look at the mm-hmm. debt here and the interest payments, he's already in trouble. The company's yeah. already, uh, my guess is, no advertising not able to make its um, debt payments. So he's yeah. going to have to call back his equity players. He's going to have to do more forced selling and file more forms. This mm-hmm. has just gotten, you've never seen an acquisition get this ugly this fast. But there's something, and I don't know if I got the, pronoun- the pronunciation right here, but an, an origa, origa, do you know what that is? No. It was a title given to a slave charged with accompanying a Roman general who, okay. and the general uh, charged with accompanying a Roman general that was awarded a triumph through the streets of Rome. So, okay. you know, they basically have ticker tape parades yeah, yeah. for a general yeah. who conquered another that. army. Yeah, I saw and Cleopatra. Go ahead. This, the slave, the origa, was appointed by the Senate, and this mm-hmm. origa was charged with a relatively simple task, and that is to mm-hmm. follow the general mm-hmm. and on a regular basis whisper into the ear of the general during the succession, memento homo. And that means, remember, you are only a man. Oh, wow. And that I thought that was so powerful. <laughs> wow. That, uh, that, that this, you know, what was considered one of the greatest civilizations. Yeah, triumphs. Most enduring triumphs. Yeah. civilization said, right at your biggest moment, that's when you need to be reminded consistently sure. yeah. by somebody that you are only a man. And I feel like Elon Musk has never needed an origa more than anyone. You know what? I need to get you one. I'll be your, i kind of your origa. You kind of I? are my origa. I am. Yeah. Oh, come on, Scott. I usually am like, what? Huh. You text me late at night and get angry at me. I do We've not. I haven't done that in a long time. Like, it was literally twice, and you're, like, still recovering Because Shell Samberg called you and read you the riot act, and you still wanted to hang out with her and her fancy friends. No, I did not. Want, I have not seen Cheryl in years. Anyway, it's it's a tough time. And, there, you know, one company is buying up ads on Twitter. It's SpaceX. Eee. That's kind of interesting, moving money between his companies. Now, advertisers who have left Twitter, General Mills, Audi, General Motors, Pfizer, Volkswagen, Mondelez which is the maker of Oreos. I think Eli Lilly's not too happy about those fake tweets. They've been spending a lot of time getting rid of those, which is a waste of time because he shouldn't have done the thing in the first place. So now he's caught more costs. So the advertising is not there. It's really, I mean, I have talked to all the advertisers and they're like, no way um, am I going in here, which is kind of interesting. Everyone's looking for an excuse to pull yeah. their advertising from any channel, and he's yeah. given them the mother of all excuses over and over. It's easier to put it over at Facebook or wherever, or not at all, or just keep it for yourself. He's also going to court uh, uh, on Monday, which is today, when we're taping this, to defend his Tesla pay package from a shareholder lawsuit. They call him a part-time employee. That's sort of the Jack Dorsey argument, I guess. Um, he's certainly spending a lot of time on this and tweeting ridiculous things, so... He does have other jobs. I really think corporate governance matters. And that is that it's in some ways it's along the line of this origa. And that is you need Mm -hmm. people who aren't you, who are fiduciaries, remind you of when you're not supposed to do stuff. And I'll Mm -hmm. give you an example. 
in late 99, coming off of Red Envelope, I had a shaved head, a degree mm -hmm. from Berkeley. I was young. I had a good rap. I could raise tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. for those companies in this space called the Internet. Right. And I was very full of myself, and I went and raised $15 million at a pre-money valuation of $35 million to start an e-commerce incubator in New York called Brand Farm. Mm -hmm. Not because it made sense to start it in New York, but mostly because I wanted to live in New York and wanted an excuse to relocate to New York. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Maveron, mm -hmm. all wonderful investors and, a, and like a who's who of wealthy, successful mm -hmm. people. Yep. And I raised the money and my company that I'd started Profit, a brand strategy firm, I said, I want them, I want them to do the brand strategy and the positioning for all these companies mm -hmm. I'm going to push out or punch out. Like kind of like an idea labs, but in, in New York. Mm -hmm. And my board, my board at Brand Farm said, this is an inner party deal. Mm -hmm. it, they may be the best firm for it, but you need to bid it out. And we would prefer that you had an arm's length yeah, uh, arm's vendor length. here. Yeah, and 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 by the way, at a minimum, the board of Tesla. Mm. I can guarantee you two things: oh, good no. corporate governance would be for a a group of board members to just check it and go make sure that we're getting as good or better rates this on is Twitter. SpaceX. Yeah, this yeah, is SpaceX. that SpaceX is getting value for their money, and this mm -hmm. makes sense. And I can guarantee you that did not happen. Mm, there there is no checks and balances here. There is no board. By the way, SBF. Do you know who is on his board? Who? Nobody. Yeah, that's right. Oh, his Nobody. friends in the, in the condo. The condo didn't have a people. board. No, condo kids. The condo kids. Yeah, and it, I mean that is sort of like peak. I mean, a pretty basic question: well, if I you're going to was... give money to an exchange for a, of a thirty-year-old, yeah. and I'm an agent, yeah. I, I believe President Biden is too old to govern, and I think twenty-somethings are too old, are usually too young, are yeah. usually too young to be fiduciaries for tens of billions of dollars in other people other all people's right. money. And if you don't have the self-awareness to go, you know, I haven't figured it all out. Since mm -hmm. I just got out of, you know, since I just got out of MIT. And uh, anyway, if you if you weren't self-aware enough to surround yourself with yeah. a group, group of people who can give you advice on this stuff. And mm -hmm. by the way, Musk has never had this. Elizabeth this Holmes had a board, a lot of old guys and smart guys. But, you know, I'm just saying. And what's happening to Elizabeth Holmes? That's, that's, that's an interesting one. I know. I'm just saying you just you can get around these people. And the Tesla board is a rubber stamp. Come on. And I like some of the people on it. But what, you mean his brother? Well, among other people. His brother's on the board. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you don't can't have your brother on the board. Stop me. Stop, stop right now, okay. Ariga. That yeah. means I am the general. And I'm 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 an Ariga to you. Generalissimo jungle cat. So let me just say one thing to you, Scott. Memento mm -hmm. Mori. I'm gonna say that at every show. Memento Mori. I'm gonna whisper it into your ear. I'm gonna scream it at you, really. I surround myself with people who push back all the time. Too much actually. Um anyway, we advise that you focus on the company and not at creating Weird conspiracy theories around food and Sam Bankman Freed. Did you ever have any interaction with SBF? Did you know yes, him? Yes, one time. I didn't have him at Code. I, he wanted to, um, we thought about it, and then I didn't really understand it. Like you said, I was like, I don't know what he's doing, and it feels sketchy, and he seems like the most stable of this sketchy group, but it's still a sketchy group. And and then he wanted to do it from remotely, and I just, no, I just never did. And then one time I had to do a remote thing. New York Times dragged me into something. It was like a five-minute conversation for for their staff. And I, I didn't, I was incompetent to the task. I didn't know enough. So I just luckily um, missed that, missed that interview. Um, I probably would have been tougher. I thought Matt Levine did a great interview with him where he essentially said, what you're running is a Ponzi scheme. And, uh, and he agreed with him, which was kind of interesting. All right, Scott, 
Let's go on a quick break. When we come back, a mysterious hack is the least of FDX's problems. And we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Joe Coscarelli, about Atlanta, hip hop and Spotify. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Scott, we're back. The collapse of FTX has somehow gotten worse hours after filing the bankruptcy on Friday. The exchange was potentially hacked. Crypto assets worth hundreds of millions of dollars were stolen from the exchange. An FTX administrator warned users to delete all FTX apps and avoid the website, calling it malware. Oh, that's great. Meanwhile, there are new revelations about Sam Bankman-Fried, who resigned as CEO. He was the second largest donor to Democrats in the midterm election. Another FTX CEO, Ryan Salome, gave millions, almost nearly as much, to Trump-backed Republicans. Bankman-Fried was a large investor in Sequoia and other VCs to the tune of $500 million. In a very good move by Elon Musk, he did not take Sam Bankman-Fried's money and actually question whether he had it. Smart on mm-hmm. Elon's part. Over the weekend, as his net worth dropped from $16 billion to zero, he appeared to be playing video games online. He, of course, left a wake of uh, charitable giving, He's all, the, all his charitable giving stuff, which was quite uh, extensive and uh, performative. Uh, that was one thing that made me kind of, huh, what is he up to? Those people all quit. They were all uh, effective altruists, and this is what they pushed, mm-hmm. which I thought was just, that I thought was nonsense. FTS was based in the Bahamas, not the U.S. He never really left there, except for sometimes. The U.S. was working on regulatory regimes around it, but never never finished, haven't finished it yet around crypto, et cetera. I don't know if better regulation could have it could have. They were working on it. They were working on it and pretty quickly compared to other tech legislations. I mean, there's just so much here that's going to come out. And yeah. it would be the Jesus Christ of investing if there was an organization that was a Catholic church. I think you could argue that Sequoia Capital 
are the best investors in the world. They just consistently are one of the best performing uh, venture capital firms in the world. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I know this first party information. Yeah. Sam Bankman-Fried was calling people. He'd probably done some scenario analysis and thought, I need to short my balance sheet. He was calling funds in March mm-hmm. and raising billions. And I know a mm-hmm. fund that agreed to invest $2 billion. And the fund, as yeah. they do, said, we need audited financials. And his right. response was, we don't have audited financials. Oh. On Telegram, I'll send you some bullet points about the oh, company. No. That's how oh, he was no. raising money. Oh. And, and they Sequoia, got right? and they got the money. <laughs> Sequoia put out this memo that they've since deleted, oh, basically God. lauding his genius and pointing to him oh, as is that a blowjob? <laughs> oh my God! As the type of genius they invest in. Slurp, slurp is what I thought when <laughs> I was reading. going. So that investment went from two hundred million to zero. Yeah. And it goes back, and I want to take out of this, other than being Monday morning quarterback, uh, a key investment criteria, recognize, you know, nobody is as, you know, as as, as smart as you think or as dumb as you'd hoped. And the right, key to investing, right. in my view, is yeah. diversification. Because sure. even if you think, I remember when I got into a Kleiner Perkins deal, I was, I got, inve- I got to invest in something called Della and James, which was a wedding site. It was. Oh, I remember op- them. Do you remember yeah. them? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting in a Kleiner deal. That's all. Yeah, because I think Profit was doing their brand strategy. And so they gave us the opportunity to invest. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, these are the smartest people in the world. And I found I scraped together a quarter of a million dollars, which was a mm-hmm. lot of money for me back then. Mm-hmm. Still a lot of money. It went to zero in like eight months. Wow. I mean, Oof, it just. How did you feel? I, you know, like I've I've gotten used to that emotion. <laughs> So this is interesting because the Binance CEO, CZ, who, by the way, better be careful himself, tweeted, calling this a shit show and saying all of the crypto will be blamed, even if it's one guy's fault. The crypto community has been lobbying for more oversight, including Sam Bankman-Fried by the CFTC. I know there's, I've been talking to both the CTFC people and SEC people. They've been going back and forth. They say they're being more cooperative than before. Obviously, withdrawals are rising. Um, A lot of these other companies are getting sucked into the maelstrom. Binance has issues of its own, let's just say, uh, you can read about very extensively. What's amazing um, is that everybody um, has been covering this really well. I found out a lot of stuff probably after the fact. What's most interesting is two people, actually, Michael Lewis, who just literally is always in the right place, um, has been following Bankman Freed for six months now. Uh, now he's going to be selling rights to the book. I remember him telling me this in an interview. He previously wrote The Big Short. Um, hopefully, I think he'll probably write an honest book. He will probably get the ding that why didn't he report it at the time? But you know, he's not. He's he's a book. He's a book writer. No, he's not a. Michael Lewis has a reputation for never letting the truth get in the way of a good story. No, oh, stop it. That's hold on. True. He's a fantastic right. storyteller. But yeah. if you look at the actual data around Billy Bean and Brad Pitt, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's not. It's not that exceptional. It's okay. Anyways, I think he's a great storyteller. In any case, well, we're we're saying the same thing. He's we're, in the right place, and the same thing with Walter Isaacson, who's written many books on Ben Franklin. He wrote obviously the Steve Jobs book. He's been trailing Elon. Michael Lewis deserves everything he's received. He's mm-hmm. he's a fantastic storyteller. He is not a journalist. This will make for a great Netflix drama. And here's my point: mm-hmm. this whole crypto thing. By the way, if you if you become an acronym, I think that means you're about to kill a journalist or go bankrupt. Yeah, oh, it's not a good okay. I, it's not a good forward looking indicator oh, right. when all of a sudden okay. your name becomes an acronym. Like SG. I can't call you <laughs> yeah, SG. No one calls me that. See, I'm still I'm still right. in the running. No one calls right. me that. Okay. But anyways, if you look at the entire crypto market. Wait, what's your middle name? I don't even know what I'm it is. I'm not telling you. 
Come on, you then I can make one. You you are very uh, reckless with my emotions. I just what is your middle name? Do you want to? You can I? Yeah, I want to. Seriously, know. honestly, seriously, I honestly want. Uh, I don't have a middle name. My parents were what? poor. Now my parents were lazy <laughs> and didn't give a shit and didn't think long enough right, to give me a middle name. Have a middle name. Everybody my dad doesn't... wanted to name me Scott with one T after Scotland, which would have been really cool. Oh. And by the way, if they just moved me to Scotland and gave yeah. me long enough for me to have a Scottish accent with my rap yeah. and a Scottish accent, hello, okay. player. Oh. You know what I would have called, named you? Ewan. Barbara. You would have named me Barbara? Barbara Galloway. <laughs> but go ahead. This is, if you look at the crypto market, and I'm thinking about doing a, a blog post on this, mm-hmm. News versus Noise, uh, mm-hmm. coining or, or parroting uh, Jessica yep. Yellen's great site. But if you look at the crypto market, it's much yep. more spectacle than significant. The entire mm-hmm. market capitalization of the crypto market is $800 billion. Yeah, it's not very Amazon good. has yeah. shed more value than yeah. the entire value of the crypto mm-hmm. market. So while it's going to make for a great Michael Lewis-produced docudrama, mm-hmm. keep in mind, Kara, Small. as as literally this quote-unquote layman moment was happening Thursday and Friday, what did the markets yeah. do? The markets Nothing. ripped up. Yeah. Nobody yeah. cares. So yeah. it's, it's still this, interesting. It's, yeah, and we're fascinated. It's the same way, again, The the another example – 3,750 layoffs of Twitter, three times the yeah. news stories of a layoff that's a third of the size. Amazon loses a Facebook in value, yeah. That's right. So the crypto yeah. market is is more spectacle now than it is significant. All right, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Joe Coscarelli is a cultural reporter for The New York Times focusing on pop music. He's also the author of Rap Capital, an Atlanta story about how Georgia's most populous city has become the center of the hip-hop world. Welcome, Joe. We're not hip-hop experts. My sons are, uh, so we appreciate you coming on. But there's a lot of things we want to talk about uh, around your book and also Spotify and the music world and online. I know you're super well-versed in that. So talk about the book itself. Atlanta has taken the hip-hop crown and most of his history has been New York and L.A., I believe, according to my sons, but I, I quizzed them this morning. Tell us a little bit about how Atlanta became this. That's about right. You know, traditionally, New York and L.A. are thought of as the hip hop centers. You know, there's been there's been mm-hmm. stuff out of Chicago over the years. Britain. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, the U.K. is big right now. But, you know, basically for the last 30 years, Atlanta has been this sort of pesky upstart. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, keeps taking the crown over and over again. And that starts mm-hmm. with groups like Outkast and mm-hmm. LaFace Records. Um, you know, Usher came came out of Atlanta, TLC. Some mm-hmm. some record men in the 90s really started making a name there because it was a, a black mecca, right? It's this mm-hmm. place that's known for civil rights. It's known for historically black universities and, and mm-hmm. colleges. There's a there's a real, just a creative energy there. And it's also affordable. It's the South, but it's a city. And, mm-hmm. and from then on, they created this infrastructure and it just allowed, you know, generation after generation of sort of more experimental rap artists to, to really come from nowhere. Killer Mike is there, right? Yeah. Kill, Killer Mike came out of the same dungeon family Mm -hmm. Uh, scene that that outcast did and you just get these it it has a small town feel and i think that that's really Mm -hmm. important for any music scene you know when you think of laurel canyon in 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 the 60s and 70s or you think of london Mm -hmm. for for punk music and post-punk in the 70s and 80s and and it's these groups of people who who grew up together their family their friends their rivals and right. and they really and they create communities they create exactly. i mean i interviewed killer mike about that about the the ability to commun- and it's not just hip hop there's others but so talk about the impact of hip hop because it seems like 
hip hop dominates everything now. People try to ignore the influence of hip hop for so long, ever since mm-hmm. the late 70s, early 80s, when it really became mainstream. Mm-hmm. People were saying, oh, this is a fad. And and this is, you know, we've seen this with rock and roll as well. But now we're at a moment where hip hop is, is outlasting rock in terms of mm-hmm. its its flexibility as a genre mm-hmm. and its and its cultural dominance. You see it in tech, you see it all over the internet, you know, TikTok, every, mm-hmm. every slang word that people are using Music comes from from rap music, and even people who don't mm-hmm. know who these modern artists are, their influence trickles mm-hmm. down, or more accurately, mm-hmm. it trickles up through, like you're saying, your sons, through through young people, through mm-hmm. teenagers. This is the mm-hmm. youth music of my lifetime, uh, and you mm-hmm. see it, you know, in 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 sports and and in business. You know, all these right. all these I- for, for, Fortune 500 companies, they're they're trying to borrow yeah. cool from these rappers. Is it because of streaming and is that what has made it more so as it's moved forward or or not? Streaming really revealed, I think, that rap was the dominant mode for music and popular mm-hmm. culture. It, it sort of, it changed who the gatekeepers were and it allowed mm-hmm. us to see in raw numbers on Spotify, on Apple Music, go go open your, your iPhone and go to the Apple Music charts and it is dominated, you know, songs one to a hundred, like you said, maybe a little bit of Taylor Swift in there, but but these are mm-hmm. these are rap artists and these are regional rap artists, specifically, you know, Southern storytellers really, really dominating this conversation. And and yes, yeah, streaming, I think, just opened people's eyes to this. And now you have all of the old fashioned companies and gatekeepers trying to play catch up because they see where the where the raw energy is. Rap, I would say maybe with the exception of superhero films, it's the dominant cultural force in entertainment last 20 or 30 years. Money, popularity, exactly. everything. What What do you think are the pillars that led to that moment? It had to be more than just the music. It had to be, I always think of it as sort of cultural appropriation, that the music you listen to is the the culture you want to absorb personally. What were the pillars that made this, you know, in these last two or three decades, the moment for rap? And I'm also curious if you see any of those moons lining up around another art form. I mean, youth culture has always been about danger and sex and pissing off right. your parents. And we've seen that sex, since, and rock and roll. Yeah. yeah, since NWA, except rock and roll is not risky anymore. Rap is where hmm. the is is it's subversive. It's fun. It's it's party music, but it's also telling you stories about you know, a, a world that you might not get to see every day. And I think it works on two levels. And that's something that I really wanted to drive home in the book is that there are people who relate to this music firsthand. This is, you know, music that is telling of underprivileged neighborhoods of, of racism in America, of, of forgotten, mm-hmm. of a forgotten generation of specifically young black men and, and people relate to that struggle. And I think that, you know, when, when you have a, when you have a groundswell of, of neighborhood stuff, and this is why Atlanta has always been so great is because even in the internet era, the Atlanta stuff is really happening on the ground. It's a grassroots scene. These artists are local celebrities, sometimes even before they start making music from just being Mm -hmm. guys who are known to, you know, however it is, get money and be in the club and, See and like be national seen. for country, exactly. Like national and, for country, and, yeah. And there is, there really is this this grassroots uh, scene, and then you get the the kids from all around the country, like who want to borrow some of that cool. And I think that we've always seen that in youth culture, and and rap music is youth culture. 
They're also very active on social media. You're like seeing TikTok and things. You've used all these things. There's a real different relation between artists and fans now, I think, in a lot of ways, that there's these direct relationships. How does that affect it? Because it feels as if uh, that they follow the people, not the labels, not nothing. They the, the way they discover stuff is so different than the way we did. We sort of got an album drop and then you, you know, very traditional ways. But the way they discover stuff is really fast and how they trade it among themselves. Like I found this. Definitely. What about this? Yeah, the fan base that is so intelligent online and so young. Mm-hmm. And rap was really primed mm-hmm. for this because rappers were always sort of making their own way. And then when technology mm-hmm. democratized the the tools needed for the industry, when you didn't have to go to a studio mm-hmm. and spend hundreds of dollars for an hourly recording session, you could just do it on your laptop, upload the shoot a video in your house, upload it to YouTube, start an Instagram page, mm-hmm. make your own dance craze this is just this is all this is like a diy culture and then you have the Mm -hmm. corporations that can swoop in and take it international but it's really and and this happened from the jump you think of somebody like soldier boy i don't know if you guys remember Mm -hmm. that dance craze you know that was almost 20 years Mm -hmm. ago at this point but he was one of the first rappers Mm -hmm. to you know be on myspace to be promoting himself hands-on with with the crowd And, and this is, and, and this is something that has just grown and grown and grown. And the, these artists can do it basically by themselves. Well, you're also talking about entrepreneurship. One of the reasons I wanted to interview Killer Mike is because he had a lot of things going on. He had a bank, he had a restaurant or a club and all kinds of things. And, and so can you talk about the entrepreneurship? Yeah. So whereas you think of rap music, you think of, of success. This is music that comes from struggle. You have to start from nothing, basically, or you have no credibility. And then unlike, Mm -hmm. you know, in in rock or in punk, you know, you think of the independent rock of of the 80s and 90s, and selling out was was the antithesis of of the ethos. Mm -hmm. Whereas in rap, it is all about what you can achieve. And it's all about showing Mm -hmm. other people from your neighborhood that you came up with the people, you know, who, who might not have made it out, what is possible. And I think because of that, there's a real that, you know, Think of Jay-Z, one of the best-known businessmen in America Mm -hmm. at this point, and Mm -hmm. someone who is looked to as a hero. And then for every Jay-Z, there's hundreds of local artists who do the same Mm -hmm. thing for their direct community. And I think the it's all about the proximity because, you know, from from behind our computers, we might look at these guys and think, oh, what's with all this jewelry? What's with these what's with these car, you Mm -hmm. know, these fancy cars, these these big houses, the materialism of rap. But this is this is coming from this is coming from a place that was told over and over again in America that it would never, that it could never achieve anything. Yeah. These echelons of, you know, the art world, the stock market uh, were not for them. And I think, you know, when, when you overcome what some of these guys have and, and women have overcome, you know, these material possessions are, are trophies and their, and their armor and their middle finger. They're an FU to America and the power structures, you know, that, that we live under. Well, there's an authenticity to it that resonates with people. That I, I wanted to talk about Spotify, sure, because uh, I know you've you've thought a lot about it. And what I see from a consumer and a business standpoint, I don't think any company has distilled an entire medium down to a searchable icon. I think what Spotify has pulled off here is just nothing short of remarkable. And at the same time, it's off seventy five percent from its high. It's worth $16 billion, which isn't a lot. It's below its Mm -hmm. IPO price. I mean, from a consumer standpoint, you look at Spotify, 
And you would just go, remarkable. This should be worth more than Amazon or Meta. That's what I would think if I didn't know the business. Where's Why has this business, from a shareholder standpoint, not worked? People don't value art. I don't know how, how else to put it. You know, I think the hmm. idea, like you're saying, that that you can have the uh, almost the entire recorded history of of human music at, at your fingertips for however much it amazing. is, you know, nine ninety nine a month, and and the labels yeah. are making a ton of money, right? This rest Spotify and and streaming in general rescued an industry that was that yeah. was long gone when when they they got off their highs of of selling yeah. a you know a little plastic disc for for twenty dollars. And when that train stopped, people people thought it was a wrap for 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 this industry. But I think that you know we see this over and over again in the arts, and especially because the labels are the ones really making money off of this. It's artists mm-hmm. out here are struggling. You see artists complaining, mm-hmm. you know, about the fractions of a penny that they're making. Unless you're a Drake yeah. or a Taylor Swift, you're or or a little baby, you know, like people aren't really making money off of off of these these streams. But I think you know it's it's hard once people realize that. That everything is 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 just there for you. The the it the math just isn't there to to be able to to support all of these record companies and also the artists for you know the the piddly monthly fee that we're paying. And also, there's there's endless new discovery on TikTok. One of the things was the rise of Trump, and one of the things I was noticing some of them. Um, he was a popular figure in rap for a long time. Hmm. He's in hundreds of songs. Talk a little bit about the political aspects of this, because they certainly had negative responses to Trump, but he was also something to manipulate for for entertainment, too. I mean, Trump is nothing if not a pop cultural icon. And throughout the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's been courting rappers for 20 or 30 years. Yes, there's, a, has, na- yeah. there's a Nancy mm-hmm. Joe sales piece in Vibe from the 90s about Trump mm-hmm. hanging out at clubs with with rappers. And and up until his very last day in oh, office, he was doing this. He pardoned Lil Wayne and Kodak Black in his last yeah. wave of, of you know, his his mm-hmm. his magic wand. Because and you saw this in his relationship with Kanye as well. He you know, he's he's always after the black community and they see him as a outlaw in a similar mm-hmm. way. There's a kinship there, I think, between certain rappers and Trump in the way that he's been able to say and do whatever he wants, but also in his tackiness, his flashiness mm-hmm. and his vulgarity, his his willingness to put mm-hmm. his his wealth front and center and i think that that's been complicated uh you know there's i mean hip-hop it, just like the black community is not a monolith there are, there are as many mm-hmm. anti-trump songs as there are pro-trump songs mm-hmm. um but he you know he he operates in this in this celebrity milieu and he's always been yeah. able to to maneuver his way around it I think- yeah now you mentioned kanye I mean, <laughs> you've just had the same reaction we all have when we hear his name. <laughs> Look, I will say this. Kanye is a sneaker mogul who used to rap. Uh, he hasn't been Ooh. really relevant. Oh. And now he's not a sneaker mogul anymore. He anymore. really hasn't produced anything relevant in a while, has he? Almost nothing of note. This guy's gotten away with saying whatever he wants for decades. And, you know, I think he he just continued to push it. You know, I think you're you're a billionaire. You're removed from from your roots, you're removed from your music career, which is the thing that uh, initially people paid attention to you for. And we see this over and over again with the richest and most powerful people in the world. Mm-hmm. We've noticed. Yeah, as soon as people stop telling them no, they're just going to keep pushing and pushing. And I think, look, I mean, Kanye is in, in his mid-40s. Like, he's 
his time is up in, in the rap world and he you know hmm. he had he's had the success in in fashion and as an influencer and as a provocateur um but but you know i think he's out of he's out of runway right now and you know how, last question how the yeah. mental health stuff Sorry. you know how the mental health stuff interacts with that is like you know way above my pay grade joe would you counsel someone to go into the music business right now do you think it's a good business? It's at 22, just out of college, I'm interested in music. I'm interested in tech. I'm interested in, you know, f pharmaceuticals. Would you counsel uh, for or against going into the music business? I think if you want to be behind the scenes, there's more opportunity than ever. I think the streaming services, mm -hmm. you know, the labels, the the publishing companies. You see, you know, you see private equity hedge funds getting in the catalog business. I think this is a booming mm -hmm. business right now with streaming. Mm -hmm. I think. Being an artist has always been an unforgiving field. I think fame is yeah. a disease. I think wanting fame <laughs> is a disease. I look if 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 you want to be a musician, it better be the only thing you could think about at any yeah. given moment. And it better be in the top 0.01%, right? Exactly. But on the business side, sure. I think there's definitely innovation uh to to be found and and money to be made. All right, great. What's the next capital, rap capital? Is there what's the upstart now? I mean, New York is coming back. There's a there's these drill scenes in in Brooklyn and the Bronx. Unfortunately, they are, you know, quite tied to gun violence and and tragedy, especially among young people. But look, this is this is America and people can't look away from that stuff. Yeah. That's what we want in our movies, in our in our TV and in our music is yeah. violence and drama. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of drill. Well, good for you. <laughs> not we'll I, not not playlists. not by choice not by <laughs> choice but nonetheless i know a lot about it now anyway uh the book is called rap capital and atlanta story is out now thank you joe coscarelli we really appreciate it. and people should watch out for joe's amazing stuff on the new york times his videos are make me understand stuff i don't understand i think they're wonderful thank you so much thanks so much thanks for having me this was fun nice to meet you joe He's a thoughtful writer. I've always liked him. Yeah, he's a, a great writer working for the New York Times writing about rap culture. I mean, yeah. it says something really wonderful about America. Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. 
my loss is uh, America has always been about individuals and exceptionalism, and I think it's gone too far. And a big source of comfort for me is atheism and believing that there is no Jesus Christ. And I think that as America has become more educated and wealthier, our reliance on a super being or church attendance goes down, but we still try to find these all-knowing individuals that will lead yeah. us to the promised land. And I think it's gotten out of control and we call it a cult of personality. But the big fails, if you will, and this is a good thing, mm -hmm. the big um, fail last week was individuals or this, mm -hmm. this Jesus Christ uh, idolatry of the individual, believing that everything a tech, guy, a tech person does is, is genius and, and they're, they're infallible, believing that a 30-year-old uh, is not subject to any sort of corporate governance and believing that, that he is infallible, believing that an individual who um, consistently, uh, that Carrie Lake or Donald Trump or whoever it mm -hmm. is, are bigger than our democracy and you should trust them. And then when they say that there's voting irregularities, even though they have absolutely no evidence of that, yep. that we should defer to them because they're Jesus Christ. Uh, last week was a really, uh, was a fail for these uh, cult-like figures. And mm -hmm. my it directly goes to my win. And Which that is... My win is institutions, and institutions matter. The connective tissue around a nation, uh, a culture, are mm -hmm. our institutions. It's what binds us together. And whether it's the electoral process and the democratic process and the largest democracy in Latin America, Brazil is holding peaceful transfer of power, mm -hmm. whether it's the Arizona Electoral Board, which appears to be holding, mm -hmm. whether it's- uh, Run by a Republican named Bill Gates, weirdly enough, but go ahead. Whether it's the um, SEC or FINRA that people are all of a sudden finding have value, mm -hmm. that these institutions that actually think about this stuff and try and protect retail investors, that, the, that you know, that institution called FDIC Insurance, what do you know? It has value. Yeah. So this was, a, I think, a big week, a terrible Nature week. Nature is healing. I'm not an optimistic person, Kara. You Last are not. week was a wonderful week for the West. Mm -hmm. Whether in, in Ukraine, the last, Ukraine, they're, in the they, last year, yeah. NATO, mm -hmm. um, the European Union, right. uh, the U.S. dollar, the Fed. I think is doing Biden's a good job. Biden's meeting was G, calming things down. Anyone hopefully. who decides that they are bigger than the electoral process, and also we've had not very many, but we have had some Democrats who lost elections. The Georgia mm -hmm. election was largely, in my view, won by a person who said, I refuse to, to fall mm -hmm. prey to this notion around election misinformation. Mm -hmm. The Republican mayor won, and I think in yeah. large part because he was seen as sane. He wasn't yeah. falling into this idolatry of innovators or this cult mm -hmm. worship. Yeah. So our institutions matter. Last week was right. an enormous win for institutions uh, across the West. All right. Mine, I would say, I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Speaking I saw of, uh, Oh, don't tell me yet. Scores $180 million opening weekend, highest mm -hmm. November debut ever. Uh, by the way, Sam Sanders, host of the New York Magazine podcast, Intuit Talks with New York Times cultural critic Wesley Morris, another fantastic guy at the New York Times, about what big franchises like this actually owe fans. Did, did you love it? Did you love it? Uh, well, you're going to love it. So oh. it's a little slow in parts, but it's a great movie. And it's yeah. an important film because, yeah. and I apologize, I'm hijacking your win. Uh, yeah, you are. So. For the last 30 or 40 years, well, actually, I don't know, the last 400 years, we've been romanticizing in film like really strong, good-looking white dudes. Mm -hmm. This movie Ladies. has so many strong 
beautiful women of color. Angela Bassett nominated. Bassett. Oh, I love her. Who should have won Best Actress for What's Love Got to Do With It is is she an amazing yeah. actress. She is wonderful in this. And the whole movie has all these incredibly strong, beautiful women of color. Tell me not more. I love Angela Bassett. She's one of my favorite actresses. I would put her near the top of my favorite. I love her. I find her poignant and beautiful and funny, everything else. Um, the other thing is Jeff Dolly Parton, speaking of which, gets $100 million from Jeff Bezos for being herself. She can give away to charity. I thought that was great. Well, it's good to see Dolly finally have some money. <laughs> No, but she's giving it away to charity. Good, good. Give away Jeff Bezos' yeah, money. Dolly, give give all the money to Dolly Parton to give away. And he announced he's giving his money away, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's made... giving his money away. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, Dolly Parton should run it all. And then Carrie Lake's failure here is she's been such a nasty piece of work. Awful. In, Terrible American. The, and I have to say, Terrible SNL American. nailed her, rather. Mm-hmm. And by the way, someone who made fun of Trump's weight a couple of years ago, made fun of the Republicans a couple of years ago, and then had the, I'll tell you why she lost. She had to insult a dead man, John McCain, in front of McCain's supporters. Like, get out of here. Who says to voters, get out of here, I don't want you? Republican voters, when you're running as the Republican candidate, you know, they gave her a big fuck you, and she's not going to lose by a lot, but looks like she's losing right now, and it's well-deserved given what a nasty so piece of work, serious... Vaseline-encrusted nasty piece of work she is. Some serious fade Dunaway plays Joan Crawford energy Whatever, there. just bad, and both of those are nicer. Just deserves, and by the way, SNL, if you haven't seen it, Cecily Strong nails it. Oh, my God. He sounds, it was creepy. It was just fantastic. Go do yourself a favor. Anyway, that's our wins and fails. Uh, Nature is healing and things are getting better, we hope. And Scott is making friends in London. Uh, Memento Mori, as we like to say. (laughs) There you go. We want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Please read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Neyman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Intertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Severio. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Memento homo. You are only a man. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here, chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.